0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Full Life. And as always, we've got a wonderful jam-packed show for you today. If you've been following us over the last few weeks, we have been talking about women in leadership, pastoral leadership in ministry, and the theology and history surrounding that. And today is no different. We are going to continue that discussion today for a little bit longer. Plus, we talk about the importance of our Hebrew roots in our faith. So it is a full And you won't want to miss it. And welcome to the full life. Thanks so much for joining us. We love sharing our conversations with you every week as we refine our faith together. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, we are going to continue the conversation we've been having for the last couple of weeks about women in ministry, women in leadership, pastoral leadership, and all the historical and biblical precedents there are, and practically how that works. But first, we always start with an encouraging word, and today's comes from our friend, Karen Griffin.
1: I was thinking about how in the book of Joel chapter two, I believe it's around verse 28, the scripture tells us that God would pour his spirit out upon all flesh. And so when we think about all flesh, that includes women as well. And so I would just like to encourage the women today that even on the day of Pentecost, when the spirit of the living God, came down that his spirit was poured out on all flesh. So that is still active in our lives today. And so I thought, because for me, I always go back and look into scriptures and I look at women that led well, led in different spheres you know, of influence. And I think about Priscilla. She was an amazing teacher. When you look in the book of Acts and you look at Acts chapter 18, she was with her husband and she led well. And then there was Phoebe and we don't hear her talked about a lot, but she was a woman in scripture and she's known as a deaconess. And You can find her over in Romans chapter 61. So once again, you know, we're looking at all of these amazing, brilliant women that led well, knowing that they have been anointed and appointed for a purpose. You know, I think about Lydia. I'm reminded of myself when I think about Lydia because she was a businesswoman. And so not only do I lead... um, holy with my husband in ministry, but I'm also a businesswoman. I'm a hairstylist. And so um when I lean into scripture and I look at scripture, I'm thinking, Lord, I can share. I have the privilege to share your truth in what where whatever sphere of influence you know you give to me. I think about Mary Magdalene, how she was at the tomb waiting for Jesus. And she was one of the first ones that was, you know, that gave hope, you know, that Jesus is alive. And, and when, you know, scripture eludes, and there's some discrepancy, you know, people have their thoughts on it, but, you know, she didn't have like the best background, but yet she was redeemed. And God used her so mightily to bring hope, to let them know, yeah, I, I have risen. And then I think about Queen Esther. Oh, my gosh. I mean, she came from the wrong side of the tracks. You know, she, you know, didn't have the right pedigree. Um, if you don't know what I mean by the wrong side of the tracks, you know, she didn't maybe come from the best neighborhood wasn't the right pedigree, wasn't the right race, but yet she became queen. And God used her as an influencer right there in the space that he had ordained for her life. I can go on and on and on. I think about the reformer, Ahulda, uh, H-U-L-D-A-H. We don't hear about her a lot in scripture, but in 2 Kings chapter uh, 22, she is known or she is seen as a reformer. And so ladies, I want to encourage you today, raise your voice, be all that God has called you to be. Remember that scripture says that he will pour his spirit out upon all flesh so that we can lead influence and make a difference wherever we go and that we can live our lives out loud, unapologetically, so that God can be glorified in and through us. Be the best you that you can be. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you so much, Karen. Boy, what a great recap of all the wonderful biblical women we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. And now I want to continue the discussion we were having. And I want to start here. When you talk about the elevation of women you know, in a uh, pastoral role as leaders, but then you talk about the biblical role of men being the head of the household, so to speak. I think it might help people to, to see, you know, how does that work? How does that work in their lives? Jenny, let's start with you.
2: Well, I mean, it, it, it is a tough thing. You know, I was having a conversation with uh, the people we're negotiating building space with moving into last week. Um, and I said, you know, I'm really struggling because I am the lead pastor of the church, but I do believe in godly submission to my husband. And my husband is not on the same page as I am. And even if I don't say godly submission is he has to decide and I have to cower, what I mean is we should both be on the same page and I want to respect mm-hmm. him. Yes. I respect the position that God's placed in his life. And I actually do do believe with godly submission. For me, it was a very freeing thing because I have a hard time making decisions and God knows that about me. Um, but then I had a good conversation with uh, my stepfather who said, you have to remember that godly submission isn't just. Isn't just bowing down. It's kind of like what Hank was saying. You know, if you feel strongly about something, you guys just need to be in agreement. So you need to have this partnership. And we do have a good partnership. We really, really have a partnership. And the thing is, he respects me. And so I kind of went to the Lord about it. And I was like, Lord, I just want to, I want to behave right in this. And, you know, my husband came to me and said, honey, you know what, you're the pastor of the church. If your spirit is leaning this way, then I'm going to respect that for you. And, you know, we had this, well, no, I really want to respect you. But it really came to a beautiful place where I kind of, when I put it in God's hands, because it isn't always an easy thing. And I'm perhaps learning more, Hank, I'm learning more from you. And that's where I I like having conversations that I'm challenged on, because just because I've been raised a certain way doesn't mean it's exactly the right way. Uh, um, You know, I I believe the head of the household is set up just simply for this. There's got to be one head. Yes. In a sense of there's got to be there's got to be a final say on something in, in some areas In some areas we're going to run into things. And those areas I don't mind and then deferring and just going, honey, I defer to you, even if I don't agree, because God did give you that role. I don't mind saying that, like Carolyn said, I've got no issue with it. It doesn't minimize who I think I am, who called God has called me to be. But, you know, I think it's the same with a woman who is a CEO of a company. Mm mm-hmm. Or,
3: you know, anytime that you are in a leadership role anywhere, you have to come home. And And I love what Hank said. And my my husband actually was not raised in a Christian home. And so it's quite interesting because he's just like, you know, I mean, we believe that the man is the head of the home. But he takes it not as an ego thing, but as a, a weight on him yeah, He's accountable to God. He looks at it like the umbrella mm-hmm. and God is over him. He's covering the family, blah, blah, blah. But he, we tell each other all the time, when you read the word, we are to be sub- servanthood to each other. That's right. Submissive yes. to one. we should be in one mind and one accord. We are one. We're not two people. We are one. And mm-hmm. so my husband really takes the attitude. And it's really been a blessing to me because I, us girls were strong. We run companies we run businesses, you know, we make big decisions today, uh, every day. And, but I think, you know, it's, I like what you said, you know, one head is okay, but two heads is a monster, yep. but we come together and I think we talk it out. You know, we talk and he respects my opinions, Carolyn, what do you feel? What's the spirit saying to you? Cause he knows I'm going to pray about it. There's times, there's sometimes that he's just like, you know, babe, I hear what you're saying, but I've got to follow the spirits inside me. This is what I feel like God's Mm -hmm. telling me we've got to do. But I think what you've got is some relationships out there of people who are watching today that the man is hoarding it over him. Right. He's treating her right biblically. He's treating her like she is uh, nothing but um, the servant of the household. And and honestly, I mean, I think that that needs to be spoken to today too. I mean, if a man is watching, if your wife is not feeling covered and being treated what Jesus did on that cross and you are not doing it, I'm sorry, you're going to deal, God's going to deal with you for that. Every woman deserves to feel covered. She needs to feel cared for. She needs to feel respected. And vice versa, I say to a woman, if you are making that man feel like he is nothing more then nothing that the woman, you know, you've got it all together and he's a loser. And that's, you know what? God's going to deal with you in the same way. And I think that we've got to start having that conversation of how do we bring this back to, it's not the negatives, it's the blessing. It's what we're talking about on one of our other shows. It's getting those boundaries, those guardrails that keep us from going off the edge so we can live this blessed life that God has promised us.
0: And that's that's the submission. That's really the submission. Right. I mean, that's what that verse says to me. I mean, you you know, you are supporting. You know, women submit to your husbands, and then husbands lift up your. I mean, it's basic love. I mean, Christ loves the church so much that he lifts you up. Yes. I mean, that's how he loves the church. So that's right. what you should be doing to the woman. It's that's what I'm saying. It goes back and forth constantly. And if that's what you're not doing, then you're not, you're not doing it, right? Um, I have a a friend who really um, kind
4: of captured this for me in like a phrase that I think it's helpful because it is as much as we're using churchy language, right? Like there's a lot of people who may not grow up in a church who like they just heard submission, they shut shut down. But one of my friends says it like this and I fell down to it. I think this is beautiful and scriptural and just the way to look at it. Um, he says, I think what this passage Paul is saying is that we have to crucify our privilege, which is very 2021 language, right? Like mm-hmm. what he's saying is Paul's acknowledging in this culture, this is how it is. In this culture, like, it would be weird to say the woman's the head of the family. No one would believe you. But Paul is saying that, like, look to Christ as your example and you should crucify your privilege, which means that, like, there will be things that this society and culture is going to say to you. Right. Like that you can do because you're a man or you can do because you're a woman. But whatever that privilege you have, you should be willing to lay it at the cross, especially for the betterment of this person you're in relationship with. And I think that's another way to look at this mutual submission thing. Like, so, for example, in our house, like I kind of always held my career loosely. I mean, before I became senior pastor, especially. So like my first seven, eight years in ministry, if someone says, hey, I want to talk to you about being a pastor of our church, I'll at least listen, you know. It was my wife who'd be like, "Yeah, no, we're not going there," you know. And it wasn't so much about like is she challenging my authority, but it was just like, like, why would this be good for you, much less us, you know? Like, you don't even agree with their theology. So it's like, even for me, it was just like it's more good just to have the conversation. And for her, it was just like this doesn't really fit who you are. And like, and and to me, part of submission is I had to know that like she might see things better and more clearly than I do. You know, Mm -hmm. and she might see like me having a conversation to me was just like, "Eh, I'll just talk. It's not a big deal. And for her, it was just like, yeah, you can't open that box. You know, like if it's not where you fit theologically, why would you even start that box? Because that's going to create even greater problems down the road. Right. And so we're very backwards in that sense. Right. Like, it's just like, oh, my gosh, your wife told you not to take that job. And I'm like, no, 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 that's a good thing, because that's what partnership is supposed to look like, right? You see things I don't see and I see things you don't see, but if we're on the same page and truly out for the betterment of each other and to lift up each other, like I will be able to hear that. And I think that's what we want for marriages and relationships, right? Like that, that you guys are honestly not just on the same page, but it's not a competition, you know, and it's also not a tension, because here's the thing about tension, like eventually something snaps and breaks, right? But it's like this hand in hand together, like walking and moving along, right? But I think we tend to make it like this or like this when it's got to be hand in hand.
2: You know, we talked about the Timothy scripture, but the other one that I had read to you was the, the 1 Corinthians 7 one, and that's what the other one people have issues with. And if people still struggle with that, that verse, you know why would Paul write it? Why would Paul write it then in the first place? Something I, I learned about recently is this thing called rabbinic responsa. So rabbinic responsa basically is this: they communicated through letters. So hey, Paul, we're having an issue. We're starting these churches. We're trying to, stay, and we're, this is our issue. And we're saying this woman wants to preach. Priscilla, can you sent Priscilla to us. What are you doing? Women aren't supposed to speak, kind of thing. Okay, let's just we're hypothesizing what was in the letter. Rabbinic responsa would say, okay, guys, here's what I'm going to say to you about this. This is first Corinthians seven, one concerning the matters that you wrote to me about. Then he goes in and starts to answer. This is an example of rabbinic responsa, So it's a very good chance because I know I read that the, the Greek to you before about when he says the women in the churches, let them be silent, not the, what I was taught on this is that what he was really saying is you're asking, should the women be silent since they are mostly in the synagogues? They are should we continue that tradition and he's saying let them be silent not and then he goes on for it is allowed for them to speak and that's when you read the greek in that order that i read to you, the actual literal translation of it makes sense in the form of a rabbinic responsa because he was addressing an issue that had come up because of the fact that Priscilla was preaching in the churches. So I kind of wanted to just say that before, you know, because yeah. I didn't get to, I don't know, Hank, if you've ever heard of rabbinic responsa.
4: I have. Um, I would say, too, like, the other thing, if any parting word is, I think that, like, all of us who call ourselves Christians, you know, we believe that Jesus is actually the full representation of God, right? I love Paul. I love the Pauline epistles, but, like, Jesus,
2: Jesus, it's the
4: exact or at least the full manifestation of God. So yeah. what I say, like a really good Bible study, honestly, is to just go through the gospels mm-hmm. and look at Jesus' interaction with women and see like yes. what does that look like? You know, like like what is the authority he gives them? How does he interact with them? And I think that's very, very eye-opening, you know, because like it's not just oh, let's match up scripture or culture or tradition. Jesus is Lord. And yeah. Jesus is the perfect manifestation of God. So if Jesus is the perfect manifestation of God, how does Jesus view women? What is the role Jesus carves out for women? And, and what is the significance of women in Jesus's life? You know, like, I think it matters that all the men ran away and the women stayed at the cross. Like, I think that's fairly significant. You it know, significant. I think it matters that like all the men were in the room crying and the women got up <laughs> early to go to the tomb. <laughs> like that morning and they actually get the resurrection story first, right? And yeah. even though the men were just like, eh, I want to believe in myself. And they run to the tomb or Doubting Peter, we call them, or Doubting Thomas, we call them. Mm-hmm. But it's the women who first believed and they become the voice of the resurrection. And the celebration of Easter, I would argue, is impossible without women verbalizing, again, being that breath to tell us what happened because we were so caught up and in locked up in a room crying because we're like, oh man, he's gone, he's, he's gone, you know? And it's literally the women who go and tell that story. And for me, yeah. that is the most significant thing. I mean, if you go back to Paul in 1 Corinthians, what is it, 15? He basically says, like, honestly, guys, without the resurrection, we've got nothing. Like, that's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. He's like, we would be like the dumbest, most foolish, most ridiculous people if this isn't true. And I think it's significant that of all the people, men or women, God chooses women to be the voice of the resurrection. So for me, if God chooses women to say that important message, who am I to stand in God's way? And you know, I'm
3: glad you said that, Hank, because that right there to me is how we know that when we read the Bible, that what it's saying is true. Because back in those days, women were nothing. And so that it wrote in the Bible that a woman came back saying it's empty. It's empty. It must have really been a woman who came back saying it was empty. It was empty because right. they went had to no it. voice. Right. And so to me that it was a woman and that's what they wrote in those times shows the authenticity of mm. that Bible. And once again, Jesus used a woman to be a
2: spokesperson. That Come is. on what the curse was that spokeswoman role was taken from her. Your desire for the man, the man will rule over you. If you still have in your mind that a man rules over a woman, then you truly believe that that curse was not broken. The reason he spoke to Mary first was he was establishing that that curse that was spoken over woman was broken because a woman, the very first thing he does after the resurrection, he gives woman the right back to be the spokeswoman, the spokesperson for the gospel. And that what a beautiful thing that that is. The first thing that happens is that curse. Again, I think of that verse all the time. The curse of sin is broken. We say it, but we don't really believe it if wow. we think it was broken for everyone else, but not for women. And so that is what's so significant. I love that we've discovered that in this program. I I, I just love that we can dissect these scriptures um, and learn more and grow more together.
0: You know, I have to say, I think we have the opportunity to change some hearts and minds, truly. I mean, I think we've addressed over the last couple of shows a lot of the things that people could get hung up on and really expounded upon our faith. And that was the point of these conversations. And it's the point of every conversation we have on this show. So to that end, let's have another one right now. In our own faith, we are tied uh, to the Hebrew culture. And I think there's no denying it. But I think that we need to talk about it. And I think that we need to really dissect how important that is. But if only we had the pastor of a Christian Hebrew roots church. Oh wait, we do. Jenny <laughs> is going to take us through that all today uh, as we have this important discussion. So I'll start there. Jenny, what talk about our Hebrew roots, and 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 well, I'll just let you go from there. Tell us.
2: <laughs> well, of course, this is of course a very near and dear subject to my heart. You know, my husband and I lived in Israel for a few years. Um, you know, I I grew up with a absolute love of the Word of God, um, but didn't grow up in a Messianic community, didn't grow up in a Hebrew community, but just grew up with a passion for the Word. Um, In 2012, we moved to Israel actually for business ministry kind of was to produce a show actually so it was business but it was a show about the life of of jesus and um really god began to sh- just you know people say about israel you know when you go to israel the bible comes alive and it's so very true how the bible truly does come alive and you start to see things you know in a different way um and uh you know we when we were living there we became goodwill ambassadors they made us goodwill ambassadors to the to the state of israel and so we moved back to, to america and um Uh, began to travel and teach churches on Hebrew roots. And it was amazing to me how many of us as Christians know nothing of this without remembering that this is how the church started. We began, you know, the first believers were Jewish. The Bible was written to Jews. You know, my husband has a fun way of always saying it. Whenever we would travel, he would start whatever message we were teaching with this little joke. He'd say, you know, uh, Mary was not a Catholic. John was not a Baptist and Jesus was not a Christian. They were all Jews. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's a funny joke, but it's it's true. They were all Jewish people. And, um, you know, it's not, to, I think the problem has become that Christians feel like to study Hebrew roots, it's putting us back under law. And that's something, of course, we can discuss today. You know, oh, well, we're going back under law. But Jesus himself said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Right. Jesus honored the law, even with his death and his resurrection, I mean, the law says you should, you know, you have to observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy, you know, that if you study uh, in the New Testament, and it talks about his, you know, resurrection, it says that Jesus, uh, you know, uh, I can't think of the word, he rose from the dead, Um, I wanted to say it correctly, grammar, Um, after the Sabbath, that means Jesus actually with his body rested on the Sabbath. He did not defy the Sabbath even after his crucifixion. So, you know, people like to say, well, you know, that's under the blood. Well, well, the Sabbath is under you. We don't have to honor the Sabbath. It's under the blood tithing. It's under the blood. Well, for goodness sake, so is murder. So, you know, go out and kill people. You know, there, there are some common sense things as well that we learn from our Hebrew roots, um, you know, that that God gave to the people. He gave us law um, for us, for our benefit. Sabbath is made for man, not man for Sabbath. So I want to say that up front. You know, if anybody has like this aversion, you know, we, we would find, well, well I, don't, I don't need to, I don't need to. Why don't we want to know more? Jesus was a Jew. Why don't we want to go further? Why don't we want to know more information? And so really, you know, the Bible tells us that we were grafted into them They were not grafted into us in Romans. You cannot fully understand context or sorry, content. If you don't understand context, right? We preach a lot of content without understanding context. That's why that's important. Um, You know, I will hear preachers take a scripture and preach it with, with, with passion, you know, and, and I would find it was always interesting as a pastor, maybe Hank, you can relate to this, but people would come, you know, for prayer for certain things. Um, and you know, would say, well, I've been standing on the scripture and it doesn't seem like it's working. And for me, it's like, well, no, the word works, but it's not working well. So what do we say? Well, just keep believing, keep believing. But what if maybe just maybe we don't understand the scripture? So we're not presenting the scripture correctly because we don't understand the context. We say the content with no understanding of context. Mm. I'm going to give you, you know, an example. So, um, uh, you know, you guys all know the scripture. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, right? Yeah, we've all heard that one, right? So, Mm -hmm. what do we know? It's in our Christian understanding. What does that? What does that mean? Don't go to bed angry. Don't go to bed angry. We all say, (laughs) "Don't go to bed angry, y'all." Sometimes y'all just need. We just need to go to bed. You know, you're fighting and it's 1 a.m. and you are tired and it's just like, I just want yes. to be done. And the longer you go, the more you're fighting, but you're going, I know. Oh, Jesus told me not to go to bed angry. The Bible says, and I have to, I have to, because we were told since we were kids not to go to bed angry. The problem is, that is not what that scripture is saying. If you understand context, It changes the content of the scripture. In Jewish culture, the sun going down does not mean a day is ending. When the sun goes down in Jewish culture, a new day begins. A new day begins at sundown, not sunrise. So what that scripture is saying is do not begin your day with wrath. Do not begin your day with anger. Begin your day saying, this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. That is how you begin your day. That is what the scripture is saying. It has nothing to do with not arguing or going to bed angry. It means don't start your day angry. Sometimes if you're angry, you just need to go to sleep and you're gonna wake up and feel a lot better tomorrow. And so, you know, we just have that backwards. So, you know, understanding that. I think about the scripture in Daniel uh, chapter 11, where Daniel, uh, where where he says, you know, those that understand will instruct many. And, you know, you use that word understand, you know, how can we fully, you know, more understand. And, you know, we all have a calling as believers, I believe, to instruct others. But a lot of us just don't understand. We don't do our homework. We don't research again. We say, oh, well, we're the new covenant. None of that stuff matters. Right. And so we're we're preaching messages and, and, and we, we develop um, theologies and right. we don't ever go back and understand the root of something. I am in love with etymology. I absolutely adore etymology. But one of the things I really fell in love with this this past year was paleo Hebrew going back to the very beginning, you know, the pictographs really understanding uh, what these words mean. And I'm not trying to discount, uh, discount the Holy spirit bringing revelation, but I hope that little example showed you just how much we can get off just on one little tiny
3: thing. You know, I, I really wanted to bring up to you because so many times anymore, you have pastors who are really trying to discredit. I mean, it's, it's, discredit the old testament yeah and saying it's not real and you know i just want you to tell me how do um these roots and inha- uh, help us understand the bible and uh, god's eternal word that it goes together that yeah. we're not leaving one out and this is the new
2: book that that they Are together as a whole. Yeah. Well, we we truly have to understand that Jesus came to fulfill, you know, the Old Testament. But how can we understand what He was fulfilling if we don't understand the Old? I, I know this preacher that once said to Brian and I. You know i have never read the old testament now this is a famous preacher and i won't say who it is but famous preacher i have never read the old testament there's nothing in there that i need that i don't have in the new covenant and i was like oh my gosh god is the same yesterday today and forever Mm -hmm. did he waste his time did he waste his prophets did was that what did he write and go oh my bad you know i could do better than that let's just forget that that happened that's just a waste of time i mean We can't fully understand the new, you know, I look at stuff like, um, you know, Jesus and everything that he did, he was fulfilling anything major. He did. He was fulfilling something from the Old Testament, not just the prophecies. But what about the feasts? If you look at the feasts now, there are, you know, um, you've got the seven main feasts, you know, uh, holidays. Uh, You have the three that the men had to appear before the Lord. But you've got, you know, Passover um, and you have a Shavuot. So Pentecost, the church didn't start Pentecost. That was not our thing. Pentecost is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Shavuot. Shavuot was one of the main feasts that men had to appear before the Lord. So Pentecost, Shavuot, you've got Yom Kippur, you've got Sukkot, um, there's Hanukkah, but Hanukkah wasn't one of the main feasts. However, Jesus did celebrate it. So when you look at this, Jesus was either born or conceived on Hanukkah. If he was conceived on Hanukkah, he was born during Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. He was crucified on Passover. He rose on the Feast of First Fruits. He, the Holy Spirit descended on Shavuot, which is Pentecost. He is returning most likely on the Feast of Trumpets, which is Yom, which is Rosh Hashanah. Um, you know, so uh, uh, the, the Sukkot, which like I said, most there's a lot of scholars, biblical scholars, who believe that Jesus was born on Sukkot because again, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Uh, but even if that didn't happen, uh, the Sukkot is the picture of the marriage supper of the lamb. It's under a chuppah. I mean, I could just talk about that. But when you understand these and like even Passover, I'm going to give this perfect example, I think, um, for someone that just says, well, we just need to understand the new. When you look at the last supper, that was not just a supper. That wasn't just the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. What was it? I think you all should know on this program what it was. It was Passover. Now, when Jesus said, This cup is the cup of my new covenant, right? When he mentions yeah. this cup, why does he say this cup? What was the significance of this cup? So many of us don't understand this because we don't bother to understand Hebrew roots. It was a Passover Seder. There are four cups of wine in a Passover Seder. The cup he's referring to was the cup after dinner, which was the third cup, and that's the cup of redemption. So you have a cup of sanctification, you know, you have the cup of praise. He had the cup of sanctification. That's what he, I'm sorry, of redemption. He's saying, I'm redeeming you. That is the, that is the third cup that he based our modern communion on. And then when he said, this is my body, he wasn't just talking about any bread. He was talking about this thing called the Afikomen. The Afikomen is the coolest part of a Passover Seder. There's this bread that is at the beginning of a Passover Seder. There are, get this, three pieces of bread at the beginning. The middle piece of bread. Now, nobody knows why, you know, they don't talk about what these three pieces, but there's three pieces. Now we know what those represent. That's the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The middle piece of bread is removed from the other three. Okay, get this, it's lifted up. Now this bread, this matzah, if you look at matzah, matzah is striped and it's pierced. Holes are pierced into it. Why? It's pierced so it doesn't, the bread doesn't rise. you got to get this, guys. This stuff is so cool. So you've got matzah striped and pierced that is raised and broken. This is a part of a traditional Jewish, Jewish Passover Seder. It is broken. And then get this. It's wrapped in linen and it's hidden away that whoever finds it at the end of the meal receives a great reward. Woo. Now, this is the bread that Jesus, Yeshua, was referring to when he said, This is my body, which was broken for you. Didn't you ever wonder why he said broken for you because none of his bones were broken? Do you ever question that? He said, This is my body's broken for you, but his bones weren't ever broken. Mm -hmm. Why does he say that? Because the afikoman was broken. It was separated from the others. It was separated. Father, you know, why have you taken your spirit from me? He's on the cross and he's separated. That's what he's talking about being broken off and separated, wrapped in linen, hidden away. Whoever finds this bread, whoever finds, will have a great reward. The reward is the salvation. So, just that example, we don't even understand communion without understanding that. When I teach a Passover, say to Joseph, you've been there, I love watching Christians that have never heard this thought, none of this was important, go, What? Like minds blown and all of a sudden you understand the sacrifice so much more. You understand what he was doing. You understand that he rose on first fruit. There's this thing called the counting of the omer, which is, uh, you know, a counting of every day leading up to Shavuot. And you understand that his uh, rising from the dead was that first fruit that was being offered up before the giving of the Torah on Shavuot. I mean, guys, it just makes so much more sense. Can you be a Christian and not know your Hebrew roots? Absolutely, you can. Can the Holy Spirit reveal things to you? Absolutely. There have been things I've known rabbis to say, oh, I've been studying this one scripture for 30 years and I finally have revelation on Psalms. And I'm thinking I had that revelation when I was 12 because I had the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit can reveal things Absolutely to us. But just, I hope you could see in the, just those five minutes, how much more of an understanding we have of our context of Yeshua, of his sacrifice of the word of God. When we understand things through the lens of Judaism, because Jesus was a Jew Come to me who thirst, you know, when he says that he says that on, it says on the last day of the feast. Does anybody ever bother studying that? That's the last day of Sukkot during the water libation ceremony. There's so much to read about that. When Jesus opened up and says, Surely the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me, right? You know, y'all know that one, right? Yeah.
1: Yes. It's yeah. in
2: Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He didn't just say that. He didn't just read any scripture. He was reading Isaiah 61. Why was he reading Isaiah 61? Because he felt like it.
0: The Torah. Yeah. The
2: Torah portions. Thank you. No, Joseph, it's good. You pay attention. The Torah portions are a portion of scripture that has been assigned for thousands of years. I think we talked about this on a program once before. So he didn't just choose this. He goes in. It was his day to read the Torah portions, mm-hmm. he opens it up and right there it is. Surely the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach, you know, to set the captives free. I mean, it's such a beautiful, I could, I could just go on and on. I could, I could, you know, take over. Um, but I, I just want, I hope that opened your ears a bit to the exciting understanding of Hebrew roots. Go Jenny,
3: go Jenny. <laughs> you know, I, my brother used to say it has feet because it runs after you. It has hands because it takes hold of you. And what you're doing is you're bringing the scripture to life that if we would read it, if we would actually dive into it, it's alive and breathing. I heard somebody say the other day that we actually should almost feel the breath of God coming off of those pages because Mm -hmm. it's his words. It's him speaking it. And Mm -hmm. I think when you speak about it, the passion, it's so alive. It should draw all
2: of us to want to know more and to know our father. Truly. I mean, everything that Yeshua did, everything Jesus did was to, uh, you know, was to reveal the father. Mm-hmm. And I was teaching this yesterday. You know, the um, uh, when, when the Jewish Pharisees, you know, were, were trying to understand Jesus when they were saying, you know, um, when they were meeting about him with, you know, Nicodemus, that story, you know, Nicodemus is in the council and they're they're actually just trying to examine. Is this Messiah? Is this the son of God? You know, and I think we're so quick to criticize, to say, oh, well, they just didn't believe him and they just were blind. And no, the the word in Deuteronomy chapter 13, it tells them that if any dreamer, any any prophet arises among you and has a dream and and has a prophecy and performs a sign or wonder to lead you away from God, and that sign or wonder comes to pass, and it leads you away from me, you should put that dreamer to, to death. So they're truly examining his words. Because they're supposed to do that. They were supposed to decide, is this man from God? Because if not, he has to be put to death. So they were actually doing their job in, in, in looking at that. The difference is he never led anybody from the father. Everything he did was always pointing to the father to draw us closer to the father. He never pointed away from the Torah. He, you know, people that say, well, Jesus came so we can have grace. And so we just, he. when you look at his words, he says, well, you've heard you should not murder. I say to you that if you even have hatred in your heart against your brother, you've com- committed murder already.
0: Yeah, it was more. He
2: didn't. You know, I say you, you're not to commit adultery, but I say if you have lust in your heart, you've already done it. What he was doing was reminding us that the law was always supposed to be here the wo- in our hearts. The word for heart in Hebrew is lev, L-E-V. That is heart. Interestingly enough, Leviticus, where we get our laws from, mm. L-E-V, Yeah, Levites, L-E-V. It is always supposed to have been from the heart. Shavuot, when the law was given on Shavuot, that day, I, I, you know, that when it was given on that day, that day is referred to as a marriage, a time of marriage. God said, I married myself to my people. It was a marriage contract. It was always supposed to be about the heart and about love. And that's what he was doing to the people in those days. He was teaching them that this law that you, you that you follow should always be from your heart, not just from your hands.
4: What are some dangers or maybe limitations for Christians um, by disregarding some of our our, I was going to say, not just our connection, but our foundational Hebrew roots um, or disconnection with Israel.
2: One of the scriptures that has almost haunted me from childhood is that the very elect could be deceived. Hmm. It's it, it sat on my shoulder mm-hmm. since I was little. I, I would think, well, I would just look around and think, how could we be deceived? We have the truth. I mean, I just knew that from a young age. And I think one of the greatest dangers is that about the elect being deceived. And how can we be deceived? You know, going back to that Daniel scripture, they that know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. I, I feel like there's a lot of us that know our faith, but we, you know, we, we know the book maybe, but we don't know the author. We don't fully understand. And, I, and, and so it's easy to get misled. I mean, again, going back to that simple example and I just gave you a simple one to not be so complicated of not letting the sun go down in your wrath. Think about how many of those things can be misinterpreted, mistaught, theologies that are misdirected, women, Carolyn, that have been put under, you know, because uh, of a misunderstanding of Timothy. You Hopefully we'll be doing a program on that, but not a Timothy, a Paul, what he wrote to Timothy, um, you know, misinterpretation without recognizing that Huldah was a prophetess, that prophesied at the time of Jeremiah. And, and so I, I worry that we get misled. I worry that um, we, we, we have to know that we know that we know the word, we have to know that we mm-hmm. know that we know our God. We have to be strong so we can carry out great exploits. And so if the, the danger is in, in not fully understanding and trying to put it in our understanding, especially in our culture, trying to take the Bible and make it fit our cultural narrative is very, very dangerous. And that's where we have to go back. If we don't understand a word, I always tell people, listen, if it doesn't make sense, go back and study the Hebrew, go mm-hmm. back. And like I said, that's why I'm in love with etymology. I'm telling you paleo Hebrew will open up a whole new world to you. I was just studying something today that was talking about the word, um, uh, for, for, uh, healer, Rafa for healer, R-A-P-H-A for healer. If you add another H onto that, that word means rest. So even understanding that being healed isn't doing, going and all this stuff, it's really just resting in God, our healer. I mean, if we can understand those things, it brings so much more of a richness to us. Hmm. And beyond that, I would say, you know, with understanding the importance of Israel, understanding the honor, you know, to, to the Jewish people, God was very clear that he did not end his covenant with his people. He says it throughout the Bible. I I did not end this covenant. And I want to read to you what Paul says. And I know you know this scripture, but I'd like to read this. Uh, Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Again, remember that picture I talked about of that tree. Do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, well, branches were broken off so I could be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith so you do not become proud, but fear. For God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Now then the kindness and the severity of God, severity then towards those who have fallen, but kindness of God towards you, provided you continue in kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. Guys, this is new Testament reading. We have to remember how severe the scripture is. He's saying, guys, don't boast. I hear so many Christians. Oh, I have the new covenant. Oh, those Jews, they don't know those Jewish people. Do not boast. Do not boast. This was for your benefit. There's other scriptures that say they were blinded for a season so that you could be, so the fullness of the Gentile could be brought in. It was to our benefit that the Jewish people were blinded so that we could see, but God has not cut off his people. All of Israel, the Bible says, all of Israel shall be saved. He has not ended his covenant with Israel and it is pride for us to think it he has.
0: Now let's talk about the fullness of prayer.
3: Well, you know, there's uh, a scripture in the Bible that it says pray without ceasing. And I used to not understand that until uh, life starts happening. If you know what I'm saying. And I have begun, especially it feels like in the past month. I can't explain it. I've been hearing the Holy Spirit wake me up in the morning saying, I want you to pray and I want you to praise. And so I have been going out on walks and I mean, all my life I've done it where I've written out my prayers and sometimes I turn on worship music and I just sit and I worship and I pray and I make a list of everybody I need to pray for people I've said. And and I still do that, but I think I've taken it up another notch right now. And I've been going out on walks because I almost want to send it out into the heavenlies and out i just believe the power of speaking the name of jesus and worshiping him and just declaring his goodness declaring his grace declaring and lately i've been using my prayer time as just a praise time and a declaration of who he is and um it's really been powerful because 45 minutes and an hour goes by And I've just been in this moment of just declaring his goodness and worshiping and and crying out to him. And um, for me, what it does for me is it gives me a sense of release that all this pressure that I've been taking on myself because I'm an A personality. So I think I can take care of it all. I have a saying that says that, uh, you know, one time I felt my spirit, God says, uh, Carolyn, I'm not. I'm looking for your obedience and not your praise because I have this thing of God, I'll do it. I've got it. I'll take care of it, but I'll give you all the glory. And God's like, I'm not looking for your glory. I'm not that needy, but I'm looking for your obedience. And uh, right now I feel like God is just saying, be obedient and just worship me, call out for me, hunger for me. Let me be what fills you up. There's nothing in this world, Carolyn, that is going to satisfy, satisfy, that's going to give you the peace, that's going to give you the joy, that's going to give you the wisdom. It only comes from Christ. And sometimes that just comes from just getting in his presence and just learning to trust him. And to wait on the Lord, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. You know, it it feeds my soul because all of a sudden I'm, I'm surrendering the pressure off me to have to solve all the problems and be in control of everything and literally just lift my hands up and go, God, I don't have it. I don't have all the answers. I don't I don't have all the ways. I can't control all the situations. I can't make everything right. I can't heal all the hurts, but I know you can. And so for me, it's just that moment of surrender that it brings peace in my life. And, and for me, it's how I start my day. And honestly, I do it all day long. I'll do it like even while I'm cooking. I'll do it while I'm driving down the road. I'll do it. I mean, when it says pray without ceasing, I literally just do it constantly because it's my release. It it takes the pressure off me and um, it, it it gives me the peace to sustain. It's all I can tell you. It's where my peace is right now.
0: I think the thing I've gotten most out of today's show and all the conversations we've had is the importance of reading the Bible in context and studying that context. I think that's important for both the topics we talked about today, but really any topic of faith. I mean, and the most important thing that I've learned in doing this show and in studying my faith is to do just that, to study it yourself. So I encourage all our viewers, I encourage all of the believers out there the pastors, the church leaders, the priests, anyone that they can illuminate so much and be such a wonderful guidepost for us. But we have to do the work ourselves. And that's exactly what we keep trying to do here every week. We try to expand your life into the fullness God has for you. So we invite you to keep doing that work too. Stay with us here on The Full Life.